You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. We're going to receive our uh, tithes and offerings tonight. Praise the Lord. Um, For my part, um, in recent times, I've been talking about Malachi chapter 3. And uh, we've been looking at that, and uh, we started with verse 8 and talking about uh, robbing God. And we mentioned that they actually did rob God in uh, the actual tithes and offerings, but also they operated, uh, they uh, also robbed him in the opportunity for him to bless them. We looked at tithing as an act of obedience for us. The tithing was created for our benefit. We actually, uh, God actually invites us to prove him now herewith, he says, in tithing. He said that if we will do that, that he will open the windows of heaven for us. He will pour out that windows of heaven. There is floodgates, the same as when the, the, uh, the heavens open up over Noah. When he got in the boat and the fountains of the deep opened up, so the floodgates of heaven were open. And he said he will pour us out or empty out us a blessing that we could not contain. And that uh, we talked about rebuking the devourer, that it's God's job to rebuke the devourer for your sake. Amen. And uh, share some testimonies of uh, how he did that. And tonight, I was looking in verse 12, and uh, this term stood out to me. So we'll look at Malachi 3, verse 12, and it says, And all the nations shall call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And so we love, love, love saying that we're blessed. And if you go look over in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, it tells you how blessed you are. Blessed in your basket, blessed in your store, blessed in your going in, blessed coming out. You'll be not the head but the tail. Uh, you'll be above only and not beneath and all and all and all and all of that. Praise the Lord. But this delightful land is what stood out to me. In one translation, it says land of delight. In another one, it says a wonderful land. Another place it says, your land will be a good place to live. And uh, another translation says, you shall be a desirable land. And when I read that about the desirable land, it made me think of Esther. And uh, with Esther, of course, you know the story that they were in captivity and uh, she was betrothed to the king. And there came a time when the henchman next to the king decided he wanted to annihilate the children of God. And uh, because he didn't like, um, what was his name? Mordecai. I've got Malachi on the brain. So Mordecai, the other guy. And so, um, <laughs> and so Mordecai, so he devised this plan and everything. But ended up, the Lord uh, saved the children of Israel. And, of course, the, play, the person that devised the plan was the one that got hung on the gallows, so to speak. But it says in Esther chapter 8, it says that when all the nations round about heard what God did for the children of Israel, it said that um, they were, the Jews were in light and gladness and a good day, and that all the nations round about wanted to be Jews because they saw what God did to take care of the Jews. Isn't that something? So desirable land. So what it made me think, these two uh, cross-reference scriptures came up when I was looking at this. It says in Isaiah 61, 9, their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. That means that they have had to see something on these folks 
for them to identify that they're blessed by the Lord. Amen? So uh, as they're looking at us, and it says in Malachi here, in verse 12, that um, he calls, the nations will call us blessed, and we will be a delightsome, a desirable land. So in ver- uh, Isaiah 62, 4, it says, No longer will you be forsaken, nor your land named desolate, but you will be called Hezbollah, and your name Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be his bride. So when, the, when people look at us as children of God, and we're tithers and we're givers, they see something on us that they don't see on other people. They see that we're a delightsome land. They see that we're a land that's to be desired. They see that we're a land that's a good place to live. I want to go do what those people are doing because I see what God's doing in their life. Can I go be a part of that? I want to be a part of that because I see what God, God's taking care of his people. And, uh, and so uh, these scriptures also came up to me. Psalm 2520, keep my soul and deliver me. Let, not my sh- uh, let, not, let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in you. What did God say? Prove him. So when we prove him, we will not be put to shame. We'll be a delightsome land. We'll be the people of the Lord that are blessed. Amen? And then in Psalm 71.1, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. When we put our trust in him, it says in this verse that he will not put us to shame. We will not be put to shame. So um, the story came up in my heart uh, today regarding this was when I went to Ramah, uh, you know, back when God was a baby, a long time ago. Um, <laughs> um, to get there, it, was, it took a lot of money financially for me to get there. And um, so, you know, of course, this is a faith journey and everything. So I had enough money to pay my tuition for three months. Um, I had some money to buy clothes with, to go to school with, and, and, and different things like that. Put a, a little bit of food in my pantry and all that. When I got about November of that year, my first year, things got a little tight. And so I remember sitting in uh, uh, faith class, our faith library class, and Brother Hagen was teaching. And he was talking about times in his life when things were tight and how he believed God and how he trusted God and all of that. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, my, my family was not able to, to send me to school. Actually, when I, was, I told my parents that I was going west, all they could think of, all the um, cowboy and Indian movies that they saw, you know, with uh, the, uh, uh, what is it, the thing with the Siri on top, you know, uh, covered wagons and Indians and, you know, all of that. Why are you going out there? So they weren't going to be any help to me, you know. And uh, God was my only answer. And uh, so that night, it was a Friday night, I got home, <laughs> uh, you know, your thoughts, you know how the devil does. And just those thoughts coming at your mind. And so uh, I would try to go to bed and I couldn't go to sleep because of those thoughts just bombarding my mind. And so it came to me that I had just heard the prophet in class talk about how he walked through something. And so what I did was, (laughs) and I was young in the Lord and I just said, Lord, Brother Hagen said today, this is what he did when he was in this kind of situation. And I used the scripture that he did. And, uh, and so I, I, I got up, got in my closet, in my literal prayer closet, 
until I got peace and then I went back to sleep. And then probably that night I woke up like three or four times just doing that. Because you go to sleep and you start dreaming, start relaxing, and then all of a sudden you're dreaming about living under a bridge or, you know, all your stuff, you know. You move to Beverly and all the stuff, you know, stacked on your car and you're going back home and all of that. And so all of those thoughts were coming. And uh, so uh, made it through Friday night and nothing changed. So that morning, a lady called me, one of my classmates called me. She had a death in the family and she needed a ride to the airport. Well, what I was lacking at this time was rent for my apartment, my phone bill, my tuition was due on Monday. I didn't have any food in the house, and I had very little gas in my car. And so the, the airport's like 30 minutes away, and I probably had less than a quarter tank in my car. And so I just tried to get her to tell somebody else to take her, you know. And she said, no, 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 I can't find anybody else. You're going to have to take me. And so I prayed and just believed God that I would at least get her there. And then if my car didn't start on the way home, <laughs> somehow we'll figure out how to leave it or get home or, or something. And so uh, I got her to the airport. And when she got out, we got her luggage out of the back. She stuck something down in my coat pocket. And so, you know how you do. You don't look at it right then, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, uh, so she went and caught her plane and everything. I got in the car and just threw my, my hand went in my pocket. It was a $100 bill. So I went and put gas in the car and uh, filled the car up. Woo-hoo! Okay, but this is not all I need, though, you know, for the weekend. So, again, Saturday night, same thing. You know, would that happen Friday night? Go to sleep, all these thoughts bombarding and everything like that. So, um Sunday church, didn't let anybody know what was happening, all of that. Sunday night, same thing, going to sleep, all those thoughts bombarding, and, uh, you know, finally getting off the sleep. Well, um, if you don't have your tuition, you can't go to school. And so, um, so I got up, got dressed anyway, and um, when, if I was just going to go sit out in the car, you know, in the parking lot at school. And uh, so I got a phone call as I was about to walk out, and a friend of mine that was there with me at school her mom had called her over the weekend. She said, I've had Belinda on my heart. Do you know what's going on with her? And she said, no, I haven't really talked to her. She said, I think she needs money. And she said, so I went to my uh, pastor at my former church and asked him if I could take up an offering and ask different people for money for Belinda. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so um, she called me that morning and told me what she did. And I just started bawling on the phone, of course, because I hadn't told anybody what was happening, what was going on. And so she told her, she said, um, I've got the money. I put it in Sally's account. She's going to write you a check, and then you can do whatever you need to do with it. It covered everything. It covered everything. You know, in my house, in those Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to pack my car. I'm going to have to tuck my tail. I'm going to have to go back home. But in that time, I was going, God, I didn't come out here on my own. I came out here at your word. You said that you would take care of me, and you said that I would not be ashamed. And God made me a delightsome land. Amen? Hallelujah. And he will do that for you. Amen? Hallelujah. He's a good, good father. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for taking care of your people. We thank you for your love towards us. Father, you want this more than even we want for ourselves because we are yours and you want us to reflect you and how well you take care of you. You're a good shepherd. And Father, even if we looked at a shepherd in the natural, that he didn't take care of his flock right, we would call him a mean uh, 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 
person that didn't take care of things, didn't take care of the people that they love. But, Father, you are a good, good father. And we thank you that you make us a delightsome land because you bless us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, you guys go ahead and uh, receive the offering. So I'll go ahead and get started here. Um, <clears throat> uh, back in uh, last year, uh, about July, June, July, we started working on the 25th anniversary for November. And so uh, in talking to pastors, um, you know, they didn't want a whole lot of fanfare towards them. You know, attaboy, you know, here you go. You did 25 years and all of that. What they wanted to hear were um, what was happening in the lives of the people of Cornerstone over the last 25 years. And so they asked us to put together uh, some testimonies uh, of different ones. And we, um, you saw on that Sunday uh, of the anniversary, we presented them with a book called Malachi Three Moments, a book of remembrance chronicling testimony accounts of the first 25 years of Cornerstone World Life Church and its people. Let's turn to Malachi chapter three verse 16 and it says and then they feared the Lord they that feared the Lord spake often to one another and the Lord hearkened and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before them for uh, him for them that feared him feared the Lord and that thought upon his name so it says here they that feared him they that reverenced him and honored him and spoke of the Lord to one another often and, uh, and it says they thought about his name, which we just got done singing that uh, of. And that's the King James Version. In the, uh, in the New King James, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. The Amplified says this, then those who fear the Lord with awe filled reverence spoke to one another and the Lord paid attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord with an attitude of reverence and respect and who esteemed his name. We just got done esteeming his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day when I publicly recognize them and openly declare them to be my own possession. That is my very special treasure, and I will have compassion on them and spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. We've heard that before. The Lord, even uh, through Pastor Mark, has talked to us about that there's coming a delineation between those who are hot and cold and, you know, that kind of thing for this year. And so over the years, I've had friends that I've spent time with, either on the phone or we go out to a restaurant or something, and we start sharing truths about, you know, what our revelations or what God is showing us. Or we get on the phone and start talking about, you know, uh, something that God has done for us and we're excited about it. And then all of a sudden it seems like we're not the only one that's talking or there, present. And, uh, and so as I was reading this, I was thinking about different times that this has happened to me, that we get to talking about uh, something that we, God showed us in our uh, uh, devotional time with him or um, uh, some truth that he shared with us and then um, 
it seems like there's a third person at the table or there's a third person at the phone, uh, on the phone call and he comes and he's listening and he's hearing us talk about him. And it says that when we do this, he's writing it down in a book. When we talk about him <laughs> and he comes in Matthew 18, 20, it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. We just had the newcomers dinner for 2019 a few weeks ago. And um, <clears throat> so for those of you that have not been, what we do is we take the first row here and we turn it around. And uh, the staff sits on uh, and the leaders sit on this side. And then those that are newcomers sit on the uh, facing this direction. And Pastor Rhonda has had us play a game for the last few years called speed dating. And so what happens is the newcomers, they stay stationary in their seat, and then the leaders and staff move, you know, and we're running all over here trying to, and we have three minutes to talk to the person in front of us. And so uh, we ask questions, how did you get to Cornerstone? Where did you come from? Where did you move from? All this kind of stuff in three minutes. And you, they're supposed to do that with you as well. And, uh, and then Robert yells out, <laughs> and then change, and then we, we change. Well, at the end of this particular one, I was talking to some folks as they were leaving, and a lady said this to me in particular. She said, I am so excited that you guys did this. And I said, well, you're welcome. I'm glad you were able to come and be a part in everything. She said, I did not realize how much God has done in my life until tonight I was sitting here and start telling people what God has done in my life. And she said, my, 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 he's done amazing things in my life. And she was so excited about it. But what happened? She started telling people uh, the story of her life, what God had done in her life, what he, the victories that he's won in her life, things that she had to overcome in her life. So everyone has a story. Every one of us in this room has a story of what God has done in our lives, where we were. Uh, you remember where you were born again, where you heard the word of truth and uh, the word of life and your life was changed. Uh, you needed something or something was wrong in your life and God met you and sent somebody across your path and they gave you a word in due season that changed, that refreshed the weary in that moment and changed the trajectory of your life in some manner. Amen? Well, this Bible right here is full of stories of people who had something going on in their life, some victory they needed to overcome, something they needed to overcome and won a victory in their life. This is God's story of the people or his people that, uh, that trusted in him and they had uh, ways to overcome in their life. Their victories, their defeats, their messes, their messes that somebody else got them into, the messes that the devil got them into, the messes that they get themselves into. You ever gotten yourself in a mess? <laughs> May not want to raise your hand. <laughs> but uh, this is what they tell us, they're telling us their story in this book. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. And the Hebrews chapter 11 is a testament of God, God's people, and how they overcame in this particular book. And this is to be an, uh, an encouragement to us. And so um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, we call this the Hall of Faith. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's chronicling, if you will, all the, um, the things that God has done in these people's lives. In verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out from a place which he would receive as an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign land. In verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive. Let's look down at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Isaac. Uh, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed his sons. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of his departure. By faith, Moses, uh, when he was born, was hidden three months. And it goes on to say some other things about him. Uh, he uh, forsook uh, Egypt by faith. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, the harlot Rahab um, did not perish with those who did not believe. And then in verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time shall fail me of all uh, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Sam, um, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. Then it goes on to say, by faith, they subdued kingdoms. By faith, worked righteousness. By faith, they obtained uh, promises. By faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, they quenched the, fire, the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword turned uh, to flight the enemies of the aliens, and women received their dead to life again. So here it is chronicling all the things that God has done in their lives by faith. And let's look at 39. And all these have obtained a good testimony. And that word testimony there means report. It says to be a witness, bear record, have obtained of good and honest report. Give and have a testimony. Be, uh, be bear, give, obtain a witness. Through faith, they did not, re uh, they received the promise. And so the Old Testament, uh, you know, Old um, testifying services. Anybody, you know, grew up going through old uh, testimony services? And they go, we're going to have a testimony service tonight. And so people would come up, well, the devil's been after me all week. Bless his holy name. <laughs> and people would regale about what the devil was doing in their life more than they would about God. But here it says they had a good testimony. That these, uh, uh, in Hebrews, as they operated, they had a good testimony of the things that God has done. And now, uh, some of you may remember this. We haven't done it in a while, but we uh, had um, a time where we were doing testimony, video testimonies called Tell Me Something Good. And what came out of that, we had someone that mentioned the pastor and said that you always talk about the things that uh, God did in the past, the miracles God got in the did in the past. You never say anything about what he's doing now. And what it did was uh, uh, highlight to pastor that we realized that we had not been telling of the victories that God had done in people's lives. And in a time of prayer, the Lord said to call this, tell me something good. So we started having people send testimonies in about things that God had done in their lives. And so you can go on our website, and uh, they're listed on there of uh, different things. And so we have our own uh, hall of faith, so to speak, of things that God has done. And this is just a few of them. Bodies that could not produce, some uh, with no body pot parts. Uh, children were born. Miracle children were born. People that had medical science give up on them and say that they, they couldn't help them anymore. They live now. Uh, dreams that people had no way of accomplishing, God made those dreams come to pass. Financial miracles that they needed in their life, God uh, did exceedingly abundantly above all they can ask or think. So the Old Testament is examples or in samples to us of of uh, how they conducted themselves, how they uh, did things wrong, how things they should have done things better, and that kind of thing. So let's turn to Psalm 78, verse 1. 
talking about testimony, having a good testimony, telling your story, what God has done in your life. And here in Psalm 78, verse 1, and I'm reading out of the Amplified Classic, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. What is he saying here? Listen. There's something I'm about to say I want you to listen to. And he says, I will open my mouth in a parable. That word parable there is wisdom or instruction by numerous examples. So he's teaching us them. He wanted to instruct us in something. And he says, I will utter dark sayings of old that hide important truth. And so in that, there's things that are hidden in this, these passages, hidden in these teachings, hidden in these parables for us, not from us. So he's wanting to get some things to us. So he's saying, listen, I'm getting ready to give you instruction, and I want you to pay attention. Then in verse 3, he says, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So when I was reading this, it says, you know, what you have heard and have known. So he's talking about things that are past tense, that our fathers are sharing things with us that are past tense. What does that mean? Anybody ever had, you know, you... Uh, Ask your dad or your mom growing up, you know, how was it when you were growing up? How was school when you were growing up? I remember my dad telling those stories about, well, back in my day, I used to walk to school in the snow and in the rain, and I had holes in my shoes, and I had to put cardboard in my shoes so my shoes wouldn't, my feet wouldn't get wet, you know, and that kind of thing. And then I remember asking my mom, Stories about how she, you know, how my, she and my dad met and how they got married and, you know, that kind of thing. And how they got our house and, you know, things like that. And I even remember uh, at my mom's funeral, she passed away in 2005. And I remember at the funeral, I started talking about, they asked us to do some things uh, about telling about her so people could get to know her. And I talked about how I used to watch how she and my dad would dance with one another. And uh, when he'd come in from work and she was at the stove cooking, and he'd sneak up on her and pinch her, you know, on the behind and stuff like that. And uh, so the boys had not heard those stories, you know. I'm the oldest of nine and the only girl. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I guess I took notice of those kinds of things. So, you know, I would ask my mom stories about our family and, uh, you know, who were we related to and different things like that. Uh, my grandmother, my great-grandmother on my dad's side of the family, her name was Lily. And uh, she uh, would, I, you know, I um, would hang out with older people a lot of times. And I like sitting with them and asking them questions and, you know, uh, I call it pulling the string, so to speak, and get them to tell stories, you know. And they, they so appreciate you sitting down and talking to them and that kind of thing. And sometimes just even just rocking on the porch with them is just enough, you know. And I used to do that with my other great-grandmother on the other side. We sit on the front porch after a long day of hard work in the farm, on the farm and watch the trailways bus go by at 8 o'clock. And then it was time to go to bed. And uh, you hear the whippoorwills and the crickets and, you know, all that kind of stuff in the country. And so with my grandma, Lily, um, you know, the kids would be out playing in the yard and stuff. And I would go in, and she liked to make tea cakes. They're like a shortbread-type cake and a cookie. And so she would show me how to make tea cakes. And while the tea cakes were cooking, she would sit down by the fireplace or we sit on the back porch, and she would read the Bible to me. 
And I am uh, sure today that I am where I am because my grandma, my great-grandmother, and other people as well sowed into my life those things. And I remember, and I'm telling you the story now of my great-grandmother because she sat down and told stories to me. And... Um, and so uh, I, you, if you've been around here long enough, you've heard us talk about Brother Hagen. Anybody ever read the book, um, I Believe in Visions? Um, the Authority of the Believer. The Name of Jesus. How to be led by the Spirit of God. How to, uh, uh, your love walk. <laughs> we all should do this. In those books are stories of his life that he told to us that benefited our life. The stories that he tells in there are our stories now. Um, you know, right now there's a Winter Bible Seminar going on in Tulsa, and so he's being talked about quite a bit. And so I don't know, when I was preparing this, I was thinking about it quite a bit, but a lot of times when he was uh, telling stories of his life, he'd talk about how he got born again. And he's talked about, you know, at um, 20 minutes to eight o'clock on Saturday evening, grandma's old clock on the, uh, on the mantle struck eight o'clock and uh, that was the day that I got born again at 405 College Street uh, in McKinney, Texas, you know, and he'd give the date and he'd go on, you know, with everything. So he would always start, the, you know, out with that story. And he told different stories about his life and how God won victories with him in his life. So it talks about how our fathers, uh, which we have known, our fathers told us stories that our fathers would tell us these stories. So he told us his stories, and his stories became for us the word of God in action. Like the story I told during the offering. He told the story about how he overcame a need in his life, and then I literally took that story to my life and won a victory in my life for it until I could learn how to fight on my own with the word of God. And so us telling our story, and so that's what we're talking about tonight, you telling your story, you telling your testimony of what God has done in your life, what God has brought you through, how he caused you to overcome, things that were insurmountable, things that were huge, things that were big, things that you didn't know that you, it was possible to overcome. God changed just like that. Amen? So we're going to talk about that just a little bit. So in his stories are our victories or our answers for our life with our pastors when they're ministering up here. They're sharing stories from their life about what God brought them through, how God took them through something. And, uh, and in their um, life is the answers for our life. They're, in their testimony is what God did for them. And in, in, in essence, them telling us their story is saying, God will do this for you too, if you will believe. How many of you have been through membership class? Quite a number of you. And membership class is a good example. So they talk about a membership class, how God supernaturally brought them to Madison or Huntsville, Alabama. So if you heard Pastor talk about how he was traveling, uh, and then he would, um, and then God started talking to him and dealing with him about coming to Alabama and uh, starting a church. And then he was on his way to Peru, and uh, he was sitting in Nashville, and he heard, last call, Huntsville, Alabama, last call. And he said, okay, I'll go. 
And so every time he's told that story in membership class, I've heard something different or different parts of it, but it's telling us how he overcame or how God gave him direction in his life. And with Pastor Rhonda, he tells the story and she tells the story about how uh, she had come home from the mission field and she was going to spend some time with praying. And she came through here because she needed a ride to get to Florida. And Russ and Judy Joe were coming here. And so she uh, got a ride with them to came here. She helped him write the vision for the church. And uh, she was on her way to Georgia to meet Cecil. Y'all remember? And, um, and so uh, she stopped. They sat over at Taco Bell and wrote the vision of the church. And then uh, she went on to Florida. And, um, and then uh, pastor contacted her later. And she said that he was, she would have considered him a, uh, a distraction from hell, is what she said. <laughs> if God had not supernaturally told her that he was her husband. And then they say, we tell you these stories of God, how God supernaturally brought us here so that you have an expectation of God supernaturally moving in your life. We didn't get mad at somebody in Huntsville and come to Madison. We didn't go to, um, to Athens and have a failure and brought here. God supernaturally birthed this church here in Madison, Alabama. Amen. And he did it supernaturally. And you can expect supernatural things to happen in your life as well. Why? They're telling us their stories of how God supernaturally does things. So you can have the expectation that God can do something supernaturally in your life as well. Amen. No respecter of persons. Glory to God. All right. So the next verse says, and we will not hide them from their children, but we will tell of the generation to come the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonderful works that he has performed. So he's saying here that we need to tell our children about what God has done in our life. We need to let them know. Just like we're, God, we're their sp pastor's spiritual children, they're telling us of the things that God supernaturally did in their life so that God can operate in our life. Just like our natural children, we need to tell them. And it says, and we would tell the generation to come of the praiseworthy deeds of God. So the generation that's coming up. We need to let them know about the great deeds of God, the things that God has done in your life. Anybody been healed in here? Do, you, do your children know what God has done in your life? I even realized today as I was doing this that I've had some things happen in my life that my daughter doesn't even know about, and I need to share that with her. Some um, amazing thing that God has done. Some things she does know, but I, you know, even regarding healing, I remember that I had a burn on my hand, a bacon grease burn on my hand and God supernaturally I don't you can't even tell I ever had a burn on my hand so uh, those are the, those kinds of things sharing them with your children the wonderful works that he has performed we need to tell them to our children so they can honor it with us and it says in the next verse for he established a testimony and that word testimony right there means witness so he can establish a witness what is a witness says, I was there, I saw it, this happened to me. And with a witness and your story, nobody can say, oh, that's not true. Because it happened to you. They can debate doctrine with you. They can debate, you know, whether healing is for the day and da-da-da-da-da. But uh, they can't argue with your testimony. Because you are the proof of what God did in your life. And so, okay, you share your story with them and go, ah. God's not doing that today. He did it for me. But if you believe, he'll do it for you. And if you won't believe, you can do without. Amen? So, <laughs> hallelujah. So, 
so he established a witness and expressed precept in Jacob and appointed a law. So he made this a law in Israel commanding their fathers that they should make the great acts of God's dealings with Israel known to their children. So in Israel, it was a law that they had to tell the wonderful acts that God did. Hallelujah. Then the generation to come might know them, and the children still to be born might arise and recount to their children. Uh, and talking about Brother Hagen and uh, Winter Bible Seminar going on and all of that, um, <clears throat> Denise Burns, Hagen, uh, Hagen Burns is Brother Hagen's granddaughter. And, uh, and so uh, she told this publicly, so I'm not telling tales out of school. So she talked about how her son came home from school one day upset because kids at school were uh, teasing him because they saw his grandfather on YouTube. And if, uh, if you followed him any or looked on YouTube any with him, a lot of the things that are on there, there are teachings on there as well. But uh, some of the uh, Holy Ghost meetings and, uh, that, they used to, that he used to conduct and have. And so, I mean, they're wild services. Bodies are laying everywhere. People are dancing and running, shouting and all of this. And so they were teasing him about this. So he said something to his mom about it and said, you know, uh, they're saying all of this about, you know, uh, Papa. And so she realized as the granddaughter of the, the leader of the modern faith movement that she hadn't talked about her grandfather and what, the, he, had, what he has done. And so in a sense, this almost got lost in their family because they hadn't talked about it. And so what she decided to do, she sat down with him, and they just went through the YouTube videos and started, you know, um, looking at him and saying, uh, and she would explain to him why this happened in the service. Why are they running? What happened? What are the, te you know, he's teaching. Why is this happening? What's going on and all of that? So she started teaching him and her other sons about their great-grandfather, who is the leader of the modern-day faith movement that is in their family that they didn't know about. And so what, what he said here, that we are to teach them to the gen, so the generation to come might know and to the children that are still to be born. So if it had stopped with her and her children had not known, that means his children that are unborn or their children are born would not know about the legacy of faith, love and walking in love and uh, following the spirit of God in their family and all the, the world that was blessed because of it. Our saturation meetings that we have here were born somewhat out of this. Brother Hagen received a mandate from the Lord and said, the Lord said to him that um, there's a move of the spirit that will be lost to this generation if uh, we don't take it to them, we don't show it to them. And so he started um, having Holy Ghost meetings. He died in 2003. And a short time after that, the Lord started dealing with pastor and said that the, there's a move of the spirit that would be lost to this generation if we don't show them, you know, if you don't show them what it is. And so our saturation meetings started out as Holy Ghost meetings, and now uh, the Lord had him change it to the title of saturation meetings. And the reason why we have those saturation meetings is because we want people to experience the move of the spirit. And whatever the move of the spirit is, it could be teaching, it could be preaching, it could be us running around the room, it could be us eating carpet and being in uh, consecration to the Lord. It's whatever he wants at the time. It could be in high praise and we're running around the room 
is whatever he wants. And we take that time once a month to set aside. And so if you notice, we make it available for the children to be in here. What is that doing? That's teaching the next generation of the move of the Spirit, right? And so if you notice, if you've been here at our saturation meetings, they get in just as much as the adults do. They run just as hard as the adults do. And so uh, they get just as drunk in the Holy Ghost as the adults uh, uh, do. And, you know, and them experiencing the presence of God that way, <laughs> I've been drunk in the Holy Ghost and I've been drunk in the natural. And drunk in the Holy Ghost is better. And it put a taste in their mouth of <laughs> being drunk in God and nothing of this world can even compare and satisfy to that taste. That's teaching this generation of the flow of the spirit so that, you know, when they experience things out there in the world and then it puts um, uh, something in them to even stand up to opposition to say, oh, that's not real. Oh, that's fake. I've watched some of our children in the service. They pray for one another. Amen. Hallelujah. What is that doing our Holy Ghost meetings do? It's teaching the next generation the flow of God. And, uh, and that, that will be carried on to them. And I believe God is getting ready this year to pour out some more things on us. If last saturation meeting was any indication of what he's going to do this year. Amen. I, I went home drunk, I, I have to admit. I thought I was going to have to have somebody drive me home uh, that night. And uh, I think I sat in my car for an, for an hour just sitting there in the dark in my car until I could get myself together to go in the house. So, uh, and then verse 6. That the generation to come might know them and the children still to be born might rise and recount to them the stories. Now her children can tell their children about what their great-grandfather did in, uh, and how he affected the whole world. Um, and verse 7, that they might set their hope. Why are we doing this? Why are we telling the gen next generation? That they might set their hope in God. They might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but might keep his commandments. And so even you're talking about God did my hand, you know, it, it, um, it's become something that I had forgotten. That I didn't share and didn't pass on. And he's saying here that we might, that our children might be able to set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but might keep his commandments. So where they're set their hope in depends on what we share with the next generation, what we give them, what we pass on to them. And it also depends on them valuing it. Because you, you know, like with the stories, you know, asking your mom and your dad and, you know, about stories growing up and different things like that. And they go to tell the story again. Oh, I heard that story again. And then even with Brother Hagen, people begin to do that. People start coming to his meetings because all he does is tell the same stories over and over again. But in those stories is our answer. In those stories is our, what we need for our life. In his story that he told me that Friday in class, and I say tell me, but I was in the classroom and he told it, he was essentially telling me how to get the victory that I needed in my life. And so to discount those stories, when he starts to say, I was born, <laughs> born again, and grandma's all, you know, and the clock went off and all that kind of stuff, we all go, and then he'll say, turn to Mark 11, 23 and 24, go, is there any other scripture in the Bible that he knows? And then, you know, we think, he's, he's the one that wrote that, and it was Jesus, really. 
And, um, and so, but in those stories, he's telling us those stories. And so a few years ago, I was talking to a couple young men that had just graduated from Rama. And uh, I said, you know, to them, this was before he passed away. And I said, so how are things out there now? Because I hadn't been there in a while. And they said, and I said, how did you get to be in Brother Hagin's classes? And they said, yeah, the old man was out on the road. I went, surely they are not talking about Brother Hagin. <laughs> and I said, who's the old man? And they, oh, you know. And I said, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, Brother Hagin. And I wanted to go, <laughs> the old man, they're standing on the campus where the man got the vision from God to build a school and that, you know, to raise up uh, people for the end time harvest. They're standing there and they're seeing the old man. Oh, I saw the old man the other day. The leader of the modern day faith movement. Now, he's a man just like any other man. Don't get me wrong. But has your life been affected because of it? Every one of us sitting in this room have been affected by it. If you're here because you're pastors, that's where they were trained. That's where uh, God put them in this camp to learn faith and to, uh, to, to take them to the world. So in, uh, in essence, what we learn from him and others is the foundation of what we are building on right now. Now, how many of you watch HGTV? Anybody in here watch it? Come on, admit it. You secret HGTV watchers. And so, have you ever seen when they're, uh, you know, whoever's gonna do the restoring of a house, they'll take them in a house. If they see cracks in the wall and uh, things kind of go on wee-wah, the, the people who are buying the house don't wanna buy it because in their mind, there's something wrong with the foundation, right? And so, you know, I'll just say, Chip will say, oh, we can fix the foundation. We can get that straightened out and get it right. We'll get the foundation strong and solid so that, you know, the rest of the house is solid. What our fathers have taught us is the foundation of what we are standing in today. What uh, the old man, so to speak, what he taught us in walking in love, that our faith won't work if we won't walk in love. That uh, if we will follow the, the move of the Spirit, we will follow and be led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God told them, I'll make you rich. All the things that they've taught us is the foundation. This building right here, when they were building this building, we thought for a long time that the slab was so small. And how can we build a building on that? Because far away, just the distance perspective, it looks small. But they worked on and worked on and worked on and worked on this foundation, and it went down deep. In, old, in order to hold the walls and the roof on this place and all the equipment that's up there that you can't see and the air conditioning units on the roof and all of that, things had to go down deep in order to sustain and hold this place for us to be sitting comfortably in here tonight. There was a foundation that was laid that we built upon that you are now able to sit here in this building. The same thing with our faith. There are those who went before us that um, build a foundation for us to build our lives upon, that we can walk in faith, that we can walk in love, that we can share the love of Jesus with people. Hallelujah. They're our foundation. 
So things like knowing that salvation isn't in any other name but the name of Jesus, which we sung of tonight. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is for every believer. That healing is a divine benefit for us. It talks about that over in Psalm 103. Prosperity is also a divine benefit for us. Who we are in Christ, what we can have in Christ, what we can do in Christ, that's the foundation of who we are. Amen? And, um, you know, in and, and Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. These things that I just mentioned are the gospel. And we're not to be ashamed of them. I speak in tongues, I speak in tongues, I speak in tongues. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I don't care who knows. Because I know the benefit that it's had in my life. I, um, I tithe, I give, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't care what other people think about it. I know the benefit that has been in my life. You can be a part of it too if you will believe the word of God. Or if you will put the word of God to work in your life. I've been healed in my body. I don't care what the argument is. I've been healing died with the apostle, with the last apostle. The last apostle's not dead. He's sitting at the right hand of God in, in heaven. Jesus is ever interceding for us as our apostle of faith. Amen. And so it is the foundation of who we are. It is um, it, it's, uh, a non-negotiable for us. So we're not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For whoever believes it, for everyone that believes, the Jew first and everyone also the Greek. For in it, in what? In this gospel that we preach, that's there's salvation, there's healing, there's prosperity, there's peace, there's uh, freedom, there's liberty. In that gospel that we preach is the God is God revealed faith to faith for it is written the just shall live by faith. So the foundation that was built for us now we can live by faith. Hallelujah. The Syrophoenician woman <laughs> that came to Jesus remember her daughter her daughter had a, a devil. And it said of her that, um, you know, uh, Pastor, I was talking about, you just don't get a devil just walking into Walmart. You got to be doing something more, you know, playing around with stuff. And so she was there at the table and she came to Jesus based on uh, covenant rights. And she's not a covenant person. And, uh, and so when he said to her, he said, uh, healing is the children's bread. And she said, yeah, Lord, but even the dolls get the crumbs. Her daughter got healed on a crumb where other people sweep the crumbs off the table and feed it to the dogs, she said, just give me a crumb. That's all I need. She valued what she, even though it wasn't her right to have, she kept her heart right to get a crumb. We have YouTube. We have uh, iPads, iPhones, uh, Android. We have all kinds of access to the Word of God. How much do we value it? She just wanted a crumb. I don't need a whole sentence. I just need a little bit. And that little bit healed her daughter. It was important to her. <clears throat> In verse 8 of, um, Malachi, uh, of uh, Psalm 78. And uh, might not. Let me calm down just a little bit. So why is this important to us that our children set their hope in God in verse 7? And it says, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their hearts aright, nor prepared their hearts to know God, and whose spirits were not steadfast and faithful to God. So why is it right for us to tell our children so that they don't have 
they're not stubborn, they're not rebellious, and that they, are not, they, that they will set their hearts right and come to know God. That's why we're telling them. Why do we tell our story to our children? Why do we tell our story to our generation? So they don't experience the hardness of what sin does. Why do we tell them it's not right to, you know, it's important who the friends that you have? So that they don't go through this. I love this uh, passage in Joshua chapter 4. It says in verse 21, then he spoke to the, this is when they were getting ready to cross over the Jordan and the Lord gave them instructions on what to do. And they had to take 12 stones. And when they crossed over the, in the Jordan, they had to leave those stones in the, in the river. And, uh, and then the Lord said to them this, then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. What is he doing? Rehearsing the victories that God has done to the next generation. Jordan over on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you, you had crossed over as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty. Why are he rehearsing the victories that God has done? So that all the peoples of the earth will know that the Lord, he is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What do we start out with in Malachi? They that feared the Lord talked often of him. Here, he's telling them to talk often of him. When your children ask, <laughs> what are these stones? Tell them what God did. Rehearse the victories of what God did. Do y'all remember when Pastor Hagen was here? I forget what night it was. He was up here on the stage. And he pulled up a chair and just sat down. Now here he is that came here to minister to us. This man has 50 plus years of experience. He could have regaled us with all of his you know, knowledge, all of his revelations or what have you. But he pulled up a chair and sat down like we were in his living room and told us a story. What did he tell us a story of? He told us a story of a time in their life when they needed food in their house and they didn't have food and that they didn't know where they were going to get food from. But they got the word of God. The whole family came together and prayed. And he told, uh, Brother Hagen told them, every time you think about it, don't tell anybody about what, or what the need is. But every time you think about it, we just worship and praise God. Thank God for it. And then in a day or so, Somebody showed up at their front door with a truckload of food. He sat there and, of course, went through the whole deal and just told us a story of his life. Why? In his story of when we have hard times in our life, in his story was our answer of what we do. When you have lack in your life, you get together, get a scripture, you and your family get together and pray, and you worship and you thank God until the answer shows up at your front door. Hallelujah. Paul, he had an audience with King Agrippa. And uh, with King Agrippa, you know, Paul was very intellectual, very studious, very well taught, very well learned. He had an opportunity before the king to tell the king of his lineage, uh, his learning, his revelations that he'd been preaching at all the churches and everything. He had an opportunity to share with him all of that stuff. But when he stood before King Agrippa, what did he say? 
Oh, King Agrippa, I was on the road to Damascus, and a bright light shone around about me, and uh, a light brighter than the noonday sun. Basically, it knocked me off my horse, <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me out of this light. He had an opportunity to tell him all of his accomplishments and everything he'd done, but he stopped and told him the story, because in his story was the answer for that man's life. He had an opportunity to minister to him, and what did he do? He did it through the story of his life. Now, why did I bring up all of this? So um, just recently, pastor has been talking to us, especially the last two years, we've been talking a lot about the prodigals coming home, people getting saved, coming back to the Lord, people's lives being restored and all of that. And so, um, so he's issued a challenge to uh, leadership of um, praying and seeking God about ways of reaching this generation, reaching the lost, reaching those who are in backsliding condition. And, um, and so when I was in that meeting, what I just taught you tonight came up in my heart. And then a few days later, later uh, <clears throat> someone sent me a video that kind of cinched the deal for me. You know, we think in evangelism that, you know, if we're going to share Christ with someone, that we've got to know 12 scriptures. We've got to know, you know, the Pentateuch. We've got to know all, you know, this, uh, this stuff that we've got to share with them. And, uh, and it's as simple as telling your story. Yesterday, I went to get my nails done. And, um, <clears throat> and so I have found this song on YouTube and uh, that I was... Um, listening to you on repeat. And so while I was sitting there getting my nails done, I was just humming the song. And this guy that does my nails, I've been going to him for four years. And uh, so I'm sitting there just humming. I got my eyes closed. He's working on my hands and everything. And all of a sudden, I heard him humming. I've been going to him for four years. I've never heard him hum. But that gives you an indication of the simplest bit of influence that you have in someone's life. I was humming a, a song about God, worshiping God in my heart, and he started humming <laughs> the tune that I was humming. And he didn't even know what I was humming, but he just started humming. But it was simple as that effect on someone's life, you just sharing your story. And so someone, uh, Jim and Wanda sent me this video, and it's of Smith Wigglesworth's granddaughter. And she's on Sid Roth, and she's sharing uh, different testimonies and things about him. And uh, so she, um, she's in this point of the story, she's getting ready to tell. She was invited to come to someone to, uh, to pray over the service. And then when she went to pray over the service, this happened. Guys, go ahead. They asked me to open in prayer. And as I said, Father, that's all I said. I went into a vision. And I saw Jesus sitting in a chair and we were sitting around him. And he looked at me and he said, tell me your stories. In this last move of God, in this mighty revival that's coming, there will be so many stories. There will be so many testimonies. And we need to know when we tell our testimony and when we tell our story, we're telling him and his anointing is on that. And when we tell our story and our testimony, it brings people to Jesus. It brings people of other faiths to Jesus. And everybody 
must begin to tell their stories. Tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor your testimony. Tell the people in your street what Jesus has done, the people in the shops where you are. I want to say to you, tell your stories. Heaven is listening to you and the anointing of God will be on you. You will be a soul winner because we are in the days when it's souls, 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 you to tell people about it because it's time for souls, souls, souls. Isn't that powerful? Wow. So one of the things she, that impressed me about this, she said, Jesus, who's the knower of everything, said, tell me your stories. Jesus, her stories were important to him. Amen. It's important in Malachi because he says, uh, as, as you're gathered together and you're talking about him, he shows up. He writes it down. So your stories are important. Your stories are important to affect people's lives. So what's our takeaway from tonight? I know this has been a little bit different, but, um, uh, you know, on saturation and different times we have meetings, you know, we're in these four walls and we're having a good time, but there's a world out there. Anybody watch the news lately? There's a world out there that needs what we have in this room out there. Amen. Amen. And so know what your story of deliverance is. If you haven't been delivered yet, delivered is available for you. And so you have, if you don't have a story yet, you still have opportunity for your story to come. Know your story is important. Remember, the Lord is listening and he likes it and he wants you to hear your story. He writes it down. It's important to him enough that he writes down your story, how much more it is for us to remember our story or to share our story with people. Amen? Share your story with your children, with your family, with the next generation, other people that will benefit from hearing your stories and be encouraged. Now, people won't maybe not get born again because of your story and our, our stories haven't saved anybody or anything, but it encourages people. It causes them to go towards God or go in the direction of God. And if God did that for you, he'll do that for me. So share your stories with people. Begin to rehearse. It even does good for you just to rehearse what God has done, like that lady that was at the newcomer's dinner. She was rehearsing that night the victories that God had done in her life, and she left here, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize all the things that God had done in my life. And she left here even encouraged in her own self. Hallelujah. And uh, know that no one can take your story away from you, that they can argue, argue doctrine, that all of that, but you're a witness to what God did in your life. You have record in your life what God did for you. You have a record or a witness or um, uh, an account in your life of what God did for you that nobody can take away from you. Thank God for your story. It's a testament of how he brought you out, how you were the just, and you lived, you overcame, you were delivered by faith, and you're not ashamed of it. We are stewards of this story of our life. What he's done in our lives, we're stewards of it, and we have a responsibility to share it. 
We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him known.